0: We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website, are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group, What Are You Thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. A group uh, gathered to start a new church. But this group gathered with a lot more questions than they had answers. Uh, And one of the biggest questions they were wrestling with is, uh, what's wrong with church? Why is it that we, veterans of church, are collectively the walking wounded? Many of the people there thought it had just been them. But once, we, once they got together, started to realize this is a trend. This is bigger than just me. Another question, why is this thing, church, that we know has the potential for such beauty? Because we've experienced that. Why is it causing so much harm, so much pain? Why is it not doing the good we know that it can do? Why is it not doing the good we know that it has done? And maybe the biggest question they wrestled with was, what should we do? Because we're pretty sure what we should not do is normal start a church kind of stuff because that would just get us more of what we already recognize is a problem. So back in those olden days, Uh, The minister on Saturday afternoons, after finishing his prep for Sundays, would sit outside on a small bench uh, in their old building on Ray Road and look over the list of folks in the community and hold them in his heart before the divine. And deciding that was a lonely enterprise, started inviting people to join him and They brought their chairs outside and sat on the grass and eventually about 10 folks and eventually those Saturday afternoons became kind of the most important time in that little fledgling church's week. It was a time to talk about what should we do. A little bit, it was a time for grieving out loud. There was more than a little bitching and moaning because there had been a significant amount of sustained religious hurt. There were stories about disappointment, about disillusionment, but it was also a time of caring for one another, reflecting on religion, reflecting on themselves. You might have figured out this is a story about common thread. (laughs) I don't remember how it actually started, but eventually I started giving this group mullet over this week assignments. I would uh, say in the quiet, the moments that you have this week, in your listening moments this week, think about this thing or think about that thing. Lots of different questions, but the central theme of all the questions that came out at that time were very similar. What are we gonna do about this church thing? What does church really mean? One of those Saturdays, we had a little bit of a dramatic experience while we were reporting back our musings to one of the, what do you think about this questions, the folks who were reporting, about half of those people ended up using the exact same words to tell their story and noticed when someone was telling it, "Whoa, those were the exact same words because, I can't even remember what the exact wording was, but... When we had been mulling over the questions, there had come within us the quiet whispers, the quiet nudge in the form of words, and those words had bumped around inside of us, inner nudge kind of words, uh, inner prompt kind of words, but they were the exact same ones as the others had been reporting. Again, I can't remember what the words were, but the upshot was be authentic community together be authentic community together. This should not be a surprise to you. But that same kind of words experience was unusual enough that it got our attention and it got our action. So we actually started doing that. We said, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to work at being Authentic community. So we worked at the four spaces of belonging public belonging, social belonging, personal, and deep belonging. We intentionally spoke honestly about our lives. I did, everyone did. We didn't pounce on each other to fix our problems or quote Bible verses at each other or give each other advice or tell each other about some book we just recently read that would really help. We did our best to be authentic community together. We learned what the best practices were and then we practiced the best practices together and some really beautiful things happened. Uh, Enough beautiful things that we collectively sensed, ah, you know what, that was a discernment moment that we experienced together. It was an interior voice kind of moment, a clear direction kind of moment. Well, what do you know about that? So we took it very seriously. Be authentic community together. However, a couple months in, and the flush of newness, has cooled down and we started to realize we are getting on each other's nerves. <laughs> we are pissing each other off and we are hurting each other's feelings. So, Saturday on the grass, what are we gonna do about that? It was a little bit jarring because of how confident we were that we had experienced an interior direction, that we had experienced a small, quiet nudge it was jarring to have to then acknowledge that we could not do the thing, the inner voice thing. We knew what the thing was, and we could not do it. That's when we started using language that you still hear us using today. Ah, false self. Ah, ego self. Damn, that's a thing. So, show up to be authentic community together, and there is beauty there. The inner light stuff, it was there. We experienced it. That's true. But there was also ugly there because we are all carriers of the interior light, but we also carry some other stuff. We carry hurt, hurt people hurt people. There's deep instinct that doesn't always serve us well. So, Saturday group, what are we going to do about that? Another story. I started doing Centering Prayer when I lived in Los Angeles. I was a young minister and I would head up the hill to a convent a couple of times a month and I would meet with a nun in her 70s and we would talk together about my soul. And along the way she insisted, I mean she really insisted, that I needed to learn how to meditate. Now I was from a brand of Christianity that thought that only Buddhists meditate, so hey, that's weird. But she was a deeply spiritual woman, and I trusted her, so I started meditating. It didn't become a big feature of my life at that point, meditation, but the idea was there. I got familiar with the practice. I got familiar with the purpose. Now, fast forward several years, and we're sitting there on the grass. Ah, we can't do this thing we know we need to do. Now, what do we do? And to my mind comes my nun friend on the hill. Ah, meditation. Maybe that's what we do. Maybe that's our next step. So I searched around for a centering prayer group here in town, found one at St. Francis up in North Raleigh. I was 39 and I was the only male in the group. And I was the only person under the age of 70. So I started meditating with the Catholic ladies. And I told our Saturday on the Grass group, they also grew up in the only Buddhist meditate version of church. So it was weird for them as well. But again, because it had been a blow, because we really had this interior sense that we had received some kind of divine direction, and then we could not even do it. We knew that we were in need. So we tried this thing that to many of us felt very weird. We started meditating in a circle before we talked. Some of us started meditating every morning. Others started walking meditation, breathing and stepping and breathing and stepping. And here's what we found. Sorry. What we found is that meditation is a technology of transformation. It's a thing that we can do, that if we will do, changes us. It's a thing that we can do, that if we will do, changes us. It does it usually gently, it does it over time, but it changes us. I finished last week's lesson this way, talking about another technology of transformation building healthy concentric circles of relationship. Healthy intimate relationships and close relationships and familiar relationships and public relationships. We do that, I said, by drawing from the virtues that we carry within. Virtue is at the foundation of healthy relationship. We can do healthy relationship to the degree we draw from the virtues we carry within, the fruit of the spirit we carry within, the light that we carry within. Virtue is the foundation of healthy relationship. But you are not unlike me. It is often difficult to access the virtues that we carry within. And if we don't, healthy relationships remain elusive. So technology number one Learn how and practice building healthy relationships. Technology two, learn how to meditate. Because meditate, that's how we access the virtues that are the foundation of healthy relationships. So we did it. We practiced meditation. We learned how to do it together. We began to participate in broader groups here in the city of Raleigh. We began to make this a normal part of our community's spiritual life. And over time, something that meditation began to teach me, not just me, but it really did teach me, was to be suspicious of my thoughts. To be suspicious of my thoughts and to be suspicious of my feelings. The daily practice, I was doing 20 minutes um, every day, every weekday at the time. And the practice is pretty simple. Uh, Have a thought come up. Notice that a thought just came up. Gently let that thought go by returning focus to breathing. You're pretty familiar with this by now. But doing that practice, letting thoughts go for 20 minutes every day, kind of reinforced a basic understanding that thoughts are just thoughts and feelings are just feelings. They are not truth. They are not reality. They're just thoughts and they're just feelings. Now, I bet you've experienced that that is really hard to believe. (laughs) And the reason that is really hard to believe is because you and I, have brains. And the mo- those brains carry the most successful evolutionary adaptation on the planet. And that is that in our brains, we have these organelles that are designed to give you and to give me a sense that we are a self, that I am a me, a self-referencing being. I am a self those little lit up areas, that's why you and I have that. That's why you and I approach the world seeing everything in a self-referential w- way. Our brains evolved these organelles to interpret the incoming data that comes into our brains through the lens of I am me. Now again, it was very helpful As we evolved that characteristic in our brains, it helped us survive. It did. It made us autonomous beings, made us self-replicating beings as a self. My job is to keep self going and to keep uh, self-replicating. And with that algorithm running inside of our heads, running our days on earth, off me goes... With all the other me's on the planet going along with making sure that me gets food and water. Making sure that me belongs to the tribe so I can better get food and water. Make sure that me is attractive and accepted so that me can make babies so that me can do the whole thing all over again. Autonomous beings running a self-replicating program, seeing reality through the lens filtered through our brains that tells us we are a self. I see me in relationship to others, which helps me form social bonds, helps me cooperate with the group, helps me see into the future, which helps me make plans to avoid problems, to solve problems. I see me being me, which allows me to regulate my actions, allows me to control my actions, choose those actions which are most advantageous. So we wouldn't be here if our brains didn't do this. If we didn't have this feature inside of our heads, we wouldn't be here. But, sit in a circle on the grass and we start to realize, uh, even though we did develop this mechanism in our brains, and even though we did come up with this sense of self, sometimes it doesn't serve us well. Because we've had this moment We've had this moment that give us a very clear direction what we ought to be doing right now if we're going to start rethinking church. And we cannot do that thing. In effect, we realized, we didn't use the words at the time, this part of our brains that stitches together our sense of self is causing us trouble. Because yes, food, and yes, water, and yes, procreation, and yes, self-replication, thank you, brain, but also... Way too much ruminating about self. What that person said, what do you suppose they mean? When they said X, I bet that means they don't like me. Or I bet that means they don't respect me. I bet that means that they're trying to control me. I bet that means if given a chance, they would harm me or ignore me or devalue me. Sometimes our algorithm focuses too much on advantaging the self and we actually do those things. We actually do disrespect each other because if we do disrespect someone else, it will in a way protect us or advantage us or move us forward. Or sometimes we actually do harm or do ignore or do devalue now, being good Christian people, of course, we would do those things in very socially acceptable ways, but we do them in a smooth way that allows us to keep our standing in the community. Nevertheless, we do gossip negatively about others, because in a way that does help self get ahead, or we do sabotage somebody else's efforts, or we do manipulate Or we do exclude, or we do scapegoat, or gaslight, or we do one-up somebody else, because sure enough, those behaviors are harmful. Yes, they are, but they also help the self move ahead. They help the self have advantage. Now, most of the time, we don't realize that we're doing it. We don't ever say to myself, oh, there's my overactive sense of self, overreaching the function of survival, actually causing harm. No, it's a mindless algorithm, and it just runs mindlessly. So here we are. We can't do authentic spiritual community. But thank you, spiritual tradition. Thank you, old lady nun, insisting young knucklehead minister learn how to meditate. Because what our tradition has given us is a well-worn, time-tested technology of transformation. Meditation, contemplative quiet, the practices of silence, the art of stillness, because it turns out we've got an application for that. So my take-home message from those days, again, be suspicious of thoughts, be suspicious of emotional responses that was a very helpful insight. It was helpful for me to understand that thoughts are just thoughts and feelings are just feelings. Because when we start bringing suspicion to our thoughts, when we start bringing suspicion to our feelings, we become just a little bit more self-aware just a little bit more able to stand back from the torrent of those algorithm-driven thoughts, those algorithm-driven feelings that are not serving us well, the thoughts and feelings that undercut our ability to be authentic spiritual community or to be our best selves. Thought suspicion and feeling suspicion helps us see just a little bit better when cognitive biases kick in when our words and thoughts are not aligned with the virtue that we carry within ourselves. Thought suspicion and feeling suspicion helps us see just a little bit earlier how we impact the others that are part of our lives all the time. How my self exists in the context of a whole bunch of other selves, exists in the context of a broader whole, and how we are always impacting everyone always at all times. By practicing meditation, we often are just a little bit more able to access empathy for the person who gets under our skin. By quieting the self algorithm just a little bit, we can better see with moral clarity where our interior compass is pointing us. We can better perceive how another person might perceive, to see from another angle, to see from another perspective. For me, that happened a lot with my children, who turns out were born with very different personalities than my own. We could do the same with our partners. Thought suspicion, feeling suspicion, suspicion helps us become better at love and mercy And grace, the technologies we talked about last week, helped us become better partners and better parents and better co-workers and better employees and better employers and better friends. Because quiet that self-construct that we carry around inside of our heads and we access another reality that we also carry within that we say every week, we are every one of us us carriers of the inner light. We also carry that within. Quiet the self-construct and the other becomes easier to hear. Do that and in our relationships we become better listeners because we are less compulsed to advance self. We are less compulsed in the need to say what we are thinking and insert our view and to make sure that our voice is heard. We become better able to listen and better, to be able, better able to insist of our own interior worlds that we do that, that we sit still and listen. So early in our community, we actually saw that happening in us. We saw that happening in one another that's about the time we started to say, well, you know, sin is just not that big a deal. I think I talked about that a few weeks ago. Sin is certainly not something that we need to hide from each other. Since uh, a life without sin was never really an option, we might as well freely talk about it with one another. It's not that big a deal because look at this. In real time, we are watching one another no longer be dominated by those self-algorithm driven lack of virtues that have driven us in the past. We are watching ourselves being able to enter into authentic community because we are learning to not be so driven by the interior self-algorithm. I was talking with Sue a little bit before church and she was saying, yep, there's a lot going on. Yep, I am tired. But I will tell you of all the organizations that I've been in, here's what's not happening. We don't have this fractious division thing going on in our community. We really are practicing this love one for another. And that started way back then, sitting on the grass, learning that we have to meditate. We realized we can't do authentic community. We thought we could. We thought we could just muscle ourselves into being, but we can't do that. We have to start dismantling the brain construct that has trapped us. We learned there's a way to access a much bigger deal than sin because we've got the light within. We say that every week. I reinforce that thing as many ways as I can. That's the big deal. Sin's not that big a deal. So it becomes less of a deal when you see how it is that that gets dismantled. When you see how it is that the lack of virtue gets dismantled. When we start doing these practices and then wake up in a week and a month and a year later and realize we are no longer driven the same way we were driven, sin is just not that big a deal. I used to say uh, all the time in those early years, it doesn't matter how far back someone is, if they're willing to learn and they're willing to grow, catch up. Happens. It just happens. We start moving forward. We become less reactionary than we were. We become more understanding than we were. We become more emotionally resilient than we were. We do hold a bigger perspective and see from the vantage point of other people better. We are less triggered by our own emotional responses. We saw that in ourselves and we saw that in one another. We saw ourselves being able to be more flexible in our thinking. Hey, we could think about this thing that we have always thought about this way. We could think about it that way. Hey, that stimuli to which we have always responded this way, we could actually begin responding that way. We saw it. We lived it. So yeah, it got consolidated in me. It got consolidated in many of us. Come hell or high water, we have got to meditate. It is a technology of transformation, and we need transformation. Be authentic community. Meditate so you can be authentic community. That's how it happened. That's what we learned. Meditation strengthens our access to the divine breath that is in each one of us. Meditation weakens the hold of our evolutionary programming upon us. It weakens the hold of the habituated programmed thoughts and feelings that they have over us. So, We learned centering prayer, a form of mindfulness meditation. We learned the welcoming prayer, a way to let go of thoughts in the moment. Just hang around for a little while. You're going to hear about both of those. You'll know everything you need to know about them. We see ourselves getting caught in some ego-triggering moment, a moment characterized by some kind of surging emotional response, and we learned in the moment to breathe. Welcome and let go. Breathe welcome and let go. That's also when we started using the phrase, afflictive emotions are our friends. They are our friends because when one of those things surges up, it's telling us, ah, ego has been poked. Ego has been stirred up. This is the very best moment, a moment available right now to weaken the hold that that habit thought has, that that habit feeling has. This is the very best moment to access a deeper reality, to make a more informed decision about what happens next. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Entering prayer, welcoming prayer. Some years later, we added examine and loving kindness meditation, but that's where we started. Mindfulness and welcome prayer. And when we felt too fidgety to sit and practice, we learned about contemplative walking. Some of us started using a traditional labyrinth. Uh, Lots of churches in town have them and they're open to use. Others a more free form approach to contemplative walking in the woods. But in both, we synchronize our breath and our steps. A breath and two steps. A breath and two steps. Eyes open, looking at the trees. During those years, these two quotes became meaningful to me. You've probably heard me use them. God's primary language is silence, and everything else is a poor translation. God's primary language is silence, and everything else is a poor translation. And in the silence, Of the heart God speaks. So in dwelling divine, may this technology of transformation, this capacity to awaken to the interior divine through meditation, may this be ours. May we find the deeper reality in the practice of silence. Deeper, may we untangle the hold that that evolutionary self part of us has over us deepen our access to the divine center. Amen. Well, let us dismiss the folks online. Uh, Thank you for joining us. We're going to do what are you thinking here in the room? Uh, There goes Scott right now. He's going to be doing it with you. He's going to open up the Zoom and uh, he's going to... uh, Uh, ask the same kind of questions that I'm going to be asking here in a moment. Uh, We'd love you to join. Uh, The link to that Zoom is on the YouTube notes, also on the front page of our website. Also, when you get there, if you're asked for a password, the password is 1417. We would love you to join. Uh, Let's dismiss the folks online. If you would, please put your hand on your heart with me. Let's remember that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. That means that love and joy, peace and patience and kindness and goodness are in us because the breath of the divine is in us. And if you would extend your other hand to our city, let's look this week for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds by giving what's already in us to the people that we live and work, go to school with, again, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. You are dismissed. Thanks for joining us. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.